0: To be a survivor through the turmoil in the energy sector today, having a coherent plan to minimize costs and live within your cash flows is a must.
1: People should really be acting, you know, sort of immediately and and making choices and controlling their destiny. Thank you for joining us today. I'm George Ward. I'm the Managing Director in the Energy Practice at PJ Solomon, and I run the group in Houston. Joining me today is Taro Yanni. He's the Managing Director in the PJ Solomon Debt Advisory Restructuring Practice. Talking to you today from my home, probably as a lot of people are, uh, with social distancing
0: today. Hey, George. Welcome, everyone. Sitting here in my home office in Darien, Connecticut.
1: Sort of laying a little bit of Backdrop for the energy sector today and a lot's happened uh, in the sector over the last couple of weeks and we've seen a significant movement in crude prices. You know, as we sit here today and look at the look at the price curve for, for crude, the front month is, is at $29 and you don't even see 40s until really 2024, so the back end of the curve really hasn't moved up much. You know how do how do we get here, right? You go back, you know, about 30 days and, and think about some of the events that took place. Uh, you had OPEC and, and Russia disagreements and break from their production cuts, and coupled with that, you had uh, COVID-19 pick up some progress around the globe, and you know bring with it significant demand destruction on the oil side, really to the tune of something about 20 million. Barrels a day. So these are where the estimates are currently. So we bring them, both those factors into play, and we had you know significant movement in crude prices through the last 30 days. We've seen a number of producers you know react to that movement in the crude price with capital expenditure cuts through 2020 and 21, pushing large projects off cutting uh, dividends. So really trying to react as quickly as as crude prices were coming down. But certainly this is a significant event for the industry, though it is quite a different event than what we've seen in the past. When we think about the financial crisis of 2008 you know, the crude price drop in 2015. This one certainly feels a lot different. Tara, when you look at what's going on in the market today, you know, what what do you think the the differences are or what do you think some of the things we'll see that will be different from what we saw in 2008 and uh, 2015 for the sector?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting thinking about the sector and, you know, what's really happened in the last 30 days in part has probably been in process for some time before that, but just has gotten just rapidly accelerated. I do look at the world a lot from the perspective of what has happened in the sector during the last few periods of, of upheaval, you know, you, you mentioned the financial crisis in the 14-16 upheaval as well. And there are certainly differences and some similarities to the two. I always remember the 08-09 frame, uh, really for the fact that there was a severe lack of access to capital and credit. And that, that was not just specific to the sector, but just very widely around the economy in general. But I think the other macro factor then was that the unconventional drilling segment was really in its uh, early stages, and the U.S. impact of U.S. production on global prices was minimal or less uh, at that stage. When you compare that to what happened then in the 14 to 15, 16 uh, sector upheaval, from the credit perspective, it was very different. Access to capital was widespread, and the upheaval that was occurring in the energy sector was really sector specific, and the economy itself in generally was in, in in good shape. But the difference from the production perspective, obviously, was that the unconventional drilling component to overall production had significantly grown, and and the U.S. had become much more significant producer overall to the globe with an impact on on pricing. When you look at today, and we're obviously in very early innings of the sector challenges that are being faced today, you do see similarities to the 08-09 timeframe from the perspective that the access to credit, again, is very constrained. And the impact of US production on overall pricing has grown even further from from the period of the uh, 2014 to 16 upheaval.
1: Even before COVID-19 was something we were even talking about, know our sector was was really starved for capital, right? When you think about the U.S. energy sector and looking back really over the last several years, you know, capital's been tight in the sector and it was getting tighter and you can really feel that putting some pressure on the space really coming into the end of 2019. I mean, you can certainly look at recent performance, obviously just given the quick move in crude, how that has affected energy stocks here. But if you even go back two years and think about what that picture would be, and I think the S&P 500, you know, now today is down maybe five percent. If you take a look back two years, where the energy sector is down seventy-five percent, right? So the energy sector is coming through, really years of underperformance, really, really almost from the sort of 2016 period. That's having had an obviously, you know, effect on the space. And we really felt that coming in the, the 2019, limited access to capital, the inability to IPO into the marketplace, uh, really sort of changing M&A dynamics and, and valuations. Right, uh, people trying to monetize investments, move companies forward. You know, we're just we're just facing a lot of challenges, and you sort of you know, take that into into account and then bring in COVID nineteen, it's really sort of been a perfect storm of difficulties and challenges for the energy sector. At the end of end of nineteen, I mean we were seeing seeing that with processes, MA processes that we were participated in or running from a sell side perspective that you know if you went back a couple of years you would get you know really a substantial amount of bid activity and then you know coming in the end of, of 19 especially you were seeing that that activity at a much much lower level oftentimes people were seeing processes uh, where they were trying to monetize assets and and really ended up with no no bid or or no bid uh, that they were willing willing to take in those assets and then you Roll that forward to where we are today, it really creates an issue with, with trying to monetize assets in, in the marketplace.
0: I think to that point, you know, you think about also what I think about every day is the corporate balance sheets and what are the tools available to corporates to address their balance sheets and liabilities within different times and cycles within the sector. And, you know, clearly when you think about when there is access to capital as there was during the 14 and 15 upheaval in the sector, many corporates took different views as to how to address and took different strategies to address their balance sheets. So you saw up-tier changes, you saw termouts of RBL capacity, there were new second lien financings, and there were you know, creative recapitalizations that came with new money that coupled up-tiers, discount exchanges, and equitizations. Of components of the balance sheet, but all driven really by new capital coming in to help the corporate continue to operate and continue to grow production. When you don't have the access to capital, as you see today, that set of tools and that breadth of uh, strategies that companies took over time and in stages to try to adjust their balance sheets really isn't there. And it, it really creates a very different fact pattern to trying to address one's balance sheet and think about, how do I get from an over levered, tight liquidity position to a better place than I am in today? And, you know, there the backdrop really goes back to the financial crisis. And one of the things that certainly is very different today than during the financial crisis, as we look back, is that, you know, the financial crisis ultimately was a relatively short duration of upheaval. And here, you know, as we sit here today, we're certainly just in the early innings with very little visibility as to the duration of this downturn. But we do know, for example, that many of the investors who came in to rescue capital structures in the 14 and 15 sector upheaval are likely not there in the same level or magnitude today.
1: We, you know, obviously see that firsthand with what we do. And so when you think about the underperformance in the energy sector, you know, really from that 15, 16, uh time frame, a lot of those players that came in and, and filled that capital need really saw, as we said, as I just said, underperformance on their on their investment. We are seeing, you know, some new sources of capital enter the space. Um and they were they were do have been doing so really over the last couple of months. So we are seeing some ca- some capital come into come into that void, if you will, but certainly not at the pace that we had seen in the uh, 15 downturn. I mean, when we look at the sector, the energy sector, it's something we, we talk about often on about where, where they are in their life cycle, this, this shale uh, sort of revolution, if you will, here in the U.S. and, you know, what inning are we in? And, and we had a, a lot of dialogue on this and certainly going on in, in 2019 and figured, hey, we were in the early innings for the last, you know, whatever period you want to pick, 10 years, where there was a substantial sort of land grab going on and, and a lot of capital was coming into space. A lot of teams were being formed to sort of go out and you know develop positions in which to run their operations on and uh, acreage positions. And develop those acreage positions, maybe prove them up and and flip them, but stay relatively small operators and The thing that we were seeing really happen a lot here, and it's been talked about a lot over the last few years is is the industry's changing right The investors for the last couple of years have been saying, you know it's not about growth anymore; it's really about cash flow, and show me the cash flow and a lot of the entities that were formed and that were out collecting positions weren't really formed to do that, weren't really formed to be operators. And we're seeing that shift in the energy market from maybe what were the first sort of three or four innings to inning five and six, where you're going from companies that were going out and building positions and growing for growth's sake to companies that had to be uh, larger, better operators and start delivering cash flow and profitability on, on that investment.
0: And, and that's really, I would assume, across the board, what new investors or existing investors putting in incremental capital to corporates are looking for, meaning that return on investment, positive cash flows uh, from those investments.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, obviously, the challenges with the with the price deck where it is now—that's a little harder to achieve. Certainly, most of folks that that production are hedged and find themselves somewhat protected by the price decline here, at least over the relative uh, short-term period, maybe 2020 and part of 2021. But with the price tech not really getting above, I think, 42 in 2024, certainly companies now are looking at their situation, trying to figure out what moves they should be making to improve their efficiency, their operating efficiency, cut G&A costs, and really sort of prolong their runway here until we see better commodity pricing. You know, right now we're we're having a lot of conversations with some of the smaller corporates folks that certainly could benefit greatly from a combination and through, you know, GNA savings, uh, again, operational efficiencies, diversification of their positions and, and their operations overall. I mean, just to just to put some Really rough numbers on it. I mean, some of the companies we're looking at are relatively equal in size. Would probably merge as equals. And you think about their their G&A budgets. Just using rough numbers, they may may both have a hundred million dollars in G&A annually, and and that's a bit rich. I think they could cut and would look to cut twenty or thirty million out of that on the realm. But when you put the two companies together, you know their G&A budgets uh, again are probably around seventy or eighty. So that's a hundred, $120 million that can drop to the bottom line. It's, it's really substantial savings and something that a lot of folks are looking at doing right now.
0: When the sector went through its upheaval in the 14 and 15 period, and you saw a number of corporates restructure or recapitalize their balance sheets, that recapitalization or restructuring of the balance sheet was not coupled at that stage with any kind of addressing or meaningful addressing of the cost structures. So a number of companies, for example, went through very quick dips into a Chapter 11 process and exited bankruptcy and then only subsequently started to address through the lens of the new investors, the cost structures. And obviously, I think as we think about new investors coming in going forward, I think they're going to you know, look even more carefully at cost structures and think about how their new investment creates a return on that capital given not only... What's happened from a pricing perspective, but also there is likely a further ability to rationalize costs, whether it's through consolidation or just elimination of overhead, given where drilling activity is likely going to be in the near term
1: yeah, absolutely we are definitely you know a move to more efficient operations is something that that everyone's looking to do, and we're seeing a lot of conversations uh, revolving around that I and mean, I guess when, when I look at the industry right now and and you think about how you progress forward through it, just in the in the environment that we're in. You know, one of the things that is interesting is sort of how you how you work through right your debt stack and and how you buy yourself some time here in the space. If if you're one of the smaller producers or someone that finds themselves a little bit in a tighter position on liquidity, and, and certainly as we're having conversations with folks, certainly there's a lot of flexibility and, and creativity that are going into liquidity solutions to get that time and to get that runway. I mean, what we're seeing on the M&A side right now, we're on some processes that uh, are in bankruptcy and part of 363 sales is that the prices that you know one can realize right now for their assets is really just at a very low level, right? So un- unable to really recover a lot of those costs or really impairing uh, the debt levels. So I think part of the game for folks right now in the space, certainly these are the smaller folks, the ones that are going to be maybe a little little more inefficient than some of the larger players. Is is how do you how do you buy that time? What do you do with the banks and and with the note holders to to get as much time as you can to hopefully get to better commodity pricing uh, down the road? And we're, we're certainly spending a lot of time having those conversations.
0: I think, in terms of that strategy for most corporates, it really comes down to two critical items. One is having a pathway to preserve your own liquidity position is first and foremost, in my mind. And then second, you know, as corporates think about having to have difficult conversations with their economic stakeholders, whether those are uh, lenders or equity owners, uh, having you know a coherent plan. And a strategy to kind of couple the components we've talked about. Rationalization of costs, ability to demonstrate, ability to live within one's cash flows, really are critical components to going to those constituents and getting the positive type of response that is necessary for that corporate to get whatever they need, whether it's an amendment or a waiver or other relief from their lenders, for example. Uh, because obviously... Every lender out there is is getting these requests from a wide variety and number of other companies as well. And so being able to to articulate and demonstrate a coherent strategy likely puts that corporate, you know, in the top quartile of dialogue with its economic constituents versus being going there with, with, with an ask that's not structured around. Something that the lenders also can take to their own committees for support. George, how do you think buyers today, I, I guess primarily private equity or financial buyers, are looking at the sector today? I mean, obviously, I understand the notion of consolidation from a corporate perspective, but are financial buyers active in the market, or do you see them being active in the market in the near term, given the upheaval?
1: Well, I think a lot has happened uh, really too fast here, you know, just it's been a two week period. There are a lot of the funds that have been active in the space and funds that haven't been active in the space that we've had conversations with and that clearly want to put money to work in the sector now and certainly see it as a great buying opportunity. Many of them have a portfolio of energy companies and certainly they need to keep some of their capital around to, to support those entities. But a lot of those financial sponsors are uh, looking to make investments uh, at this time. I do think We need some stability in the market uh, before though they will put those dollars to work and i think we need some visibility on where we think commodity prices are going to shake out and we don't have either one of those right now the market obviously continues on all levels to be uh, highly volatile and i think we need some more more transparency on where production is going to go where the cuts are going to come from and what covid 19 is going to do on the demand side So again, we get a clearer picture on where future prices, you know, may go on crude and on on natural gas. So you know, we're not there at this point, but there's certainly a a large number of players who, you know, we believe will be bringing some new capital into the space to make new investments and also facilitate some consolidation uh,
0: and mergers. When I look at the sector from the credit lens perspective, there's really, you know, in the month of April, three dates that come to mind. One is obviously one, the one we just passed, which was April 1st, when term loan interest was due. April 15th, when you have coupons for corporates, in some instances, coming due. And then as we go to the back end of the month and get closer to May 1. First, we have the borrowing base. What are you hearing from the RBL community in terms of how supportive of existing corporates will they be in terms of those borrowing base redeterminations, given the fact that in large degree, for many corporates, that's their primary source of liquidity?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And and I don't think there's a, a set strategy yet from the RBL winners. It's It's really, you know, to my point, I made before on the M&A front, I think really fluid right now. Again, we, we've had a lot happen uh, here so quickly that people are still trying to figure out what the right strategy is. And that, that goes to the first lien lenders, the RBL lenders, the banks uh, as well. Certainly, these are not assets the banks want to own and operate. So um, our assumption is, and and we are hearing that the banks, there's going to be you know flexibility and creativity uh, put to work here to certainly try to provide some some leniency some runway for for certain names there also will be some credits where you know that not that will not be the decision um, or the right path for the lenders and they probably will be uh, less supportive uh, or or provide no support uh, depending on the company the company's assets and really you know what points I think uh, you'd made before, sort of what, what is their cash burn, right? Really? So if you provide runway to them, are you just sort of uh, creating a larger uh, issue down the road for yourself? I
0: would imagine just on that point on the RBL lender community and, you know, obviously that they're working through their own level of uncertainty and thinking about price decks and potential impairment that, you know, if there is a space within the capital structure that will be first addressed by third-party sources of capital that it would be trying to step in to the top of the capital structure and perhaps be replacement lenders for certain RBL institutions who may not want to continue to provide access to capital to corporates?
1: We've seen a fair amount of interest again from some of the new capital coming in to take that role. I have an interest in in buying you know, one-off uh, RBL risk as well as portfolios of RBLs. Uh, those conversations are taking place. We expect those transactions uh, to happen again. I think you know, just given, given the volatility that we've seen in the space over the last few weeks, it's been tough to get one of those deals over the finish line, but we do expect to see New capital come in and certainly take some of this uh, first lien risk off the bank's balance sheets. Moving forward, and, and from a U.S. producer set, I don't think a lot is going to change. Certainly, there probably has to be some consideration to overall cuts in demand and demand and being able to respond to something like the COVID 19 that will need to be put in place, sort of measures and actions that uh, people will need to think about on a go forward basis.
0: And it seems like the sector ultimately will emerge more consolidated than it has in the past out of this turmoil that was happening
1: right the wheels of consolidation had already begun if you look through uh, 2019 and and certainly a lot of the conversations that were happening and a lot of the deals were happening and that was the player people were consolidating improving efficiencies and improving assets and diversification that was happening in the space and everyone realized that needed to happen I think what this does, this period we're in with this sudden price drop, is it accelerates that, accelerates that thinking in those conversations, uh, and you know I would expect to see you know widespread consolidation, you know really across across the lower forty-eight. If you want to get some more background on us or on our firm and our capabilities, please go to pjsolomon.com.